Alex, tell us your thoughts on things. This is a mic check, I guess. Uh, stand up, all you workers of oppression. Those <laughs> <laughs> arms to twice. Stand up, all you prisoners. Of- uh, yeah, and it's summer. It's it's time to to grill some uh, burgers on the grill. Drink some beers, listen to this one podcast about the histories of revolution. I mean, is this not our is not our test? Uh, no, I guess it's not the test. Okay. It's recording. Everything's All right, fine. Hi right, guys, Sumner's have a podcast. Welcome. Oh my God. That was the worst cold open. In the no, it was fine. Been. It was good. Okay, so earlier before we started recording, Alex was asking us like, what could we do to make it better? Because our numbers are not as good. Our numbers for last week were not as good as the ones for the week, the episode before. Not even um, and I think that this is it. This is it. Our cold open suck. Yeah, yeah. Our cold open suck. <laughs> I mean, that episode did have a cold open. Yeah, it did. Maybe that's maybe that's the key. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's maybe we can market this. So oh yeah. Oh god, I'm trying to yeah. turn. Oh god. Ah, ah. Ah. <laughs> no, no, shut it down. Right. Shut it down. <laughs> shut it all down. We're done. We're We've done gone too far. Oh god, sorry. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sumner's Have a Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Alex. And I'm Elise. And this week on the show, we are continuing our conversation from last week where we were talking about... That none of you cared about. Yeah. Seven of you cared about it. We uh, appreciate you seven. I, 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 I will say probably a part of the reason is I was totally wrong about something. I, I, oh. I So a retraction for the seven of you who listened to last week's episode... Uh, there is, in fact, a way to watch uh, the original season four of Arrested Development on Netflix. It just, you have to scroll all the way down past mm. all the trailers and everything else, but it is there. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Mitch Hurwitz. Thank you, Netflix, for keeping the original version of the art for people to watch if that's the version that they prefer. That's, that's what I like to see. Um, but today we're talking about whether or not we can divorce our, our love of art from, if their artists are jackasses. So we're going to be talking some shit, man. We're going to like, let's, let's, let's throw in there all the things that are hitting the news. Okay. So we've got, I don't know. Juan Diaz and Diaz. the brief and, uh, brief and wondrous life of Oscar Wilde. We've got that coming up. We've got probably, I don't know, Bill Cosby, maybe, uh, fuck Bill Cosby. Uh, fuck Roseanne too. Yeah. Roseanne. Well, Roseanne, she doesn't make anything worth consuming yeah. anyway. Um, but we're, uh, you know, there's there's lots of stuff that we we can't talk about. So uh, uh, Woody we'll, Allen. Woody Allen, yeah. Okay, so let's let's start. Harvey by, Weinstein. Let's Cards start. Against Humanity. Actually, fuck that guy. You know who you are. You know what you did. Fuck you. All right. All right. Let's start this conversation Got that off, off with <laughs> okay. the thing that uh, kind of spurred this on was the conversation that Elise and I were having a few weeks ago, where we were talking about this and we kind of developed our own like grid basically yes. our, our our own uh so those of you who didn't fall asleep during freshman algebra one class you will remember that there is such a thing called the coordinate plane and on our coordinate plane of masculinity and it's overwhelmingly masculine even though roseanne Barr is roseanne Barr. well she's off on her own yeah don't make this a don't make this a, a gender joke i'm not don't make this a transphobic joke. All right. I was right. going. I was going to say that she's incorporated toxic mascul- masculinity into her personality. Oh, that's that's fair. That's fair. All right. Yeah. I thought you were gonna make some joke no, about her being a man. No, no. I know. I love you, and you would never do that. All right. So anyway, this is our um, this is our grid, 
And on the, um, we have the y-axis and the x-axis. Feel the free to, goes... to make one at your home. <laughs> if, if everything works well, I'll make this the thumbnail. If it doesn't yes! work well, if it doesn't work well, you have to make yes. it yourself. All right. All right. So the x-axis, for those of you following along at home, this is the one that goes horizontally. Take out your uh, interactive notebook. So. <laughs> um, and this is your contribution to society. So on one end of this, you've got people who make things that are of value to the world, value to the, the world of art or technology or uh, cinema or whatever. Uh, the other end, you got people who, you know, kind of in the middle, you got folks who are just kind of like, you know, they're there, they do stuff, they're, they're useful, they, they go to their jobs every day, they help out. Um, and then at the other end, you've got people who basically contribute nothing of value and they're just, you know, they're, they're, they're parasites sucking up all the... Uh, so, all the excess value from the, the people who actually make things. Then we have the y-axis. This is the one that goes up and down. Mm -hmm. And this one is your level of toxic masculinity. The positive side being least toxic and the, the, uh, the negative numbers being more toxic. So this is like we go from the least toxic man who contributed a lot to society. Of course, Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers. Thank you. So thank Fred, you. Fred Rogers. Bob Ross. Bob Ross, so yeah, we, we so we we've named these after the people who yeah. fit into them. So on the uh, in the coordinate of uh, contributed to society and not toxic, we have the Fred Rogers coordinate. This is quadrant one quadrant for those one. of you who remember freshman algebra. Quadrant uh, one quadrant is the Fred Rogers. Quadrant two is being uh, some guy. This is a guy that you work with. He's not toxic. Does he contribute to society? Nah. Yeah. He's good at his job. You maybe. know, he makes sure that maybe mostly it's like, you know, he's the guy at the Christmas, the company Christmas party that like, uh, you know, make sure that nobody's like spiking your drink. Is this, is this your non-racist uncle? This is your yeah, non-racist yeah. uncle. Non this okay. is, yeah. Since it was difficult to come up with someone like famous for this coordinate, we decided to call this the Greg coordinate. Yeah. Um, because we figured a lot of guys who fit in here are probably named Greg. You know, Greg's actually, are good guys usually. I actually know a guy. I know a couple of guys you named Greg that are good guys that don't contribute a lot to society. Shout out Greg. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, they may not contribute the most to society, but they're good. They're good guys. They'll like shut down a racist joke. Yeah. They'll like tell you, you know, like, hey, man, you got to respect women. Th these you are know? the people that you would refer to as a bro without meaning it as like a derogatory term for someone who is just like. Of too absorbed in their own toxic masculinity. Mm. Yeah. Uh, good bros, not negative bros. Good bros. Cool bros. Sun bro. Sun bro. Sun bro. This is the sun bro coordinate. <laughs> quadrant. All right. All right. Quadrant three. This is people who don't contribute to society and are also uh, very toxic in their masculinity. This is the Trump quadrant. Yep. So don't, haven't created anything of value and are just like cesspools of a human being. So this is the trump quadrant if this is the quadrant for you mm -hmm. i hope it's not and yeah. if you are you should probably not listen to our podcast and then the last quadrant quadrant four is the one we're probably going to be focusing most of our time on today this is the value to society like creating things of worth but also terrible human beings in terms of their masculinity uh this is the woody allen quadrant okay uh or it's also possibly oh who is the other person that we put for this one uh you know diaz Yuno Diaz also falls in here. Um, there's another oh, film. Oh, the Rosemary Baby Guy. 
Right, um, Roman Polanski. The Roman Polanski. The Roman court. Polanski. We, I couldn't decide if the Roman Polanski cor- coordinate or the uh, the Woody Allen one was better, so I'm going with both. Okay. So here is your. This is your. Uh... At least it's holding this up to the microphone, <laughs> like you can see it. <laughs> well, now I can see it. So that's. What this counts. is this is your coordinate plane. This is your coordinate plane of trying to figure out uh, where where you lie, where you lie in this coordinate plane. We are solidly in the in quadrant two. Quadrant two. We I are think the, we're closer towards the we're quadrant closer to one. one but if like, you knew our day jobs, you'd be like, yeah, those bitches are in number one. Um, <laughs> we, we contribute things to society yeah. outside of this podcast. But um, but yeah, so yeah, th- as Lisa said, this is Fred Rogers. This is um, this is Bob Ross. Uh, this Steve is Irwin. Steve Irwin. Yeah, yeah, that, that meme's been going around yeah. recently. Uh, so yeah, that's th- th- those guys, I think... There's not very much Captain America. Captain America. Yeah, there's not very much debate, I think, about who falls into this coordinate. Um, likewise, I don't think there's very much debate for who falls into the Trump coordinate. But yeah, yeah, there's yeah. often some debate about who who is in the who's the in quadrant four. four. So that's where we're going with this. Yeah. Good. All right. Um, so we're going going to be talking a lot about quadrant four today. Um, so Elise, why don't you start us off talking a little bit about what kind of brought us to this conversation? Because I think we've um, mentioned it on the show before, but I think it, I think it was we we because we originally were talking about Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Um, this was several episodes ago, and then when we talked about how like if you listen to our back catalog, I know. On <laughs> uh, we also have an RSS feed, so mm-hmm. wherever you wherever you listen to your podcast, we can be found. Um, so anyway, a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about Ready Player One. And one of the things that we had brought up was the frustration of sort of like, I don't want to say geek appropriation, because I feel like that in and of itself is an appropriation of something shitty. Yeah. Um, but it's it's when people reference things for the sake of referencing things, and they, they get value out of um, you understanding the joke or being in on the joke. It's sort of like the Big Bang Theory, right? Mm. Like, Big Bang Theory isn't really funny, but it gets laughs because it's like, hey, I know that thing. I'm in on this joke. I'm a part of this community. Um, and that's when I pretty- saw it, I clapped. Um, and that's a lot of what Ready Player One is. And it was a book that was lauded uh, for being fun and interesting. But the writing in it is really terrible. The characters are very one-dimensional. He has a really problematic relationship with women in that book. Um, and we were saying about how, like, if you want a book that is interesting that references geek culture, but is a far superior book. We had brought up the idea of the, um, we brought up the book, The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde. And then like a week fucking later. I don't even think it was that long. It, it was, was like, like three days. Three then, days then it, later. Then it milkshake ducked all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking turns out, you know, Diaz is is also an asshole. Um, is also, was accused of sexual harassment. Um, I don't know if he ended up being stripped of his Pulitzer, but anyway. So then I was like, well, great. You know, we'd, we'd brought this up, you know, we'd brought this up as a great example of something that, you know, that was, that was genuinely good, but still, you know, hit a lot of the, checked a lot of the boxes of Ready Player One, and I'll probably never get its own, um, film adaptation. Not now. Well, not now. Um, and it, you know, and it really kind of bothered us and it got us on this, this path of like, well, what do we do? Cause we both really love that book and short story. Um, you know, and it's, and it's a really good work and he was a good writer. So 
what the hell, man? Now it's like, what do we what do we do with these things that we love that are in quadrant four? That are in the Woody Allen quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> and this wasn't a conversation that we could like answer right away. These weren't questions that we like knew the answers to. But it was something that we talked about and we were like, yeah, this is something we should talk about on our podcast. Okay. So here we are now talking about, about it. Talking about to it. To you. Hey. Hopefully you're listening. Hey, welcome. This if you're is... not, we don't blame you. If you're not, we've got other episodes. Go check those out. The mm. one about anime and white supremacy is really good. Apparently. 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 According <laughs> to our <laughs> listens. Um, all right. So so how do you want to take this? How do you want to handle this? Because I think, I think we all have opinions and ideas about this. Yeah, well, I think we'll just open it up for discussion. So Elise and I have kind of talked a lot, Alex. So why don't you... All right. Well... Here's 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 something I was thinking about on my way back, on my way here. I was driving here. I was thinking about this topic. I was thinking, how am I going to approach this? And I'm going to go ahead and approach it the same way I approach most things, which is with a socialist bent. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and that's the idea of ethical consumption, and the idea of that you know the the capitalist idea is that you can as you vote with your wallet. If you don't think that one thing is doing something right, then you can choose something else and buy that. Or you can consume this instead of that. But the uh, the flip side of that is that there is no such thing as ethical consumption under capitalism. Now, it, this is less to do with, like, books written by shitty people and more to do with, like, just products that you buy. Every product that you buy is inherently built off of exploitation of, of you know, somebody's labor. Uh, no matter what, you know, you're doing. Um, unless it was, you know, made by, like, a workers' cooperative. But the... The idea is not that you should despair at this, but you shouldn't focus too much on it. You should just go on, you know, continue living your life and realize that no matter what you do, you cannot try to live the ascetic life of a monk on a pole in the middle of the desert and, you know, just try to work towards fixing things in the end game. Uh, so it's not that you shouldn't be, you know, you should, you should worry about this and you should be, you know, decrying people that are doing this. But you should not necessarily be beating yourself up for enjoying or the use of something that you know is inheritively exploitative, until you know, and then you can bring it back to the end game. So, I have kind of a personal story to tell. Mm -hmm. um, and it has to do with Cards Against Humanity, which I referenced earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and here's here's kind of my personal story about ethical consumption. Mm -hmm. I fucking hate Cards Against Humanity. Yes. Um, I went to school with the creator Max Temkin. Um, he's a shitbag of a human being. And I feel like probably I can say this because I'm hiding behind like a mic and I don't feel like he's going to come after me, but he's threatened to come after people in the past. Um, with money that he has directly garnered from sales of his board game, Cards Against Humanity. Mm -hmm. And what you have to understand is about Max is he was accused of rape, of raping another, a fellow student at the school that I went to, at the college that I went to. Um, I absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt, believe this young woman. Mm -hmm. um, she is an amazing person. I won't drop her name here, but um, she's an amazing person. She's amazing, like, I hate to be like, wife and mother, but, like, she's, she, anyway, phenomenal human being. And um, and I guess, like, my problem is is that Max has has gotten a lot of money Mm -hmm. And because we live in a capitalist society, has therefore gotten a lot of power through this through the sale of his board game, Cards Against Humanity. Yes. Um, which, if you play it, God, I got an axe to grind about this. <laughs> um, and one of the things that happened is, like, she, you know, after years and years, and you have to imagine, like, 
she goes to Target and sees boxes of this for sale. Like, she has to, she has PTSD and she's basically reliving her rape mm-hmm. every time she goes to, like, Barnes & Noble. Because that's where this book is, be- or that's where this board game is being sold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Target. Like, you go on Amazon and under your, like, suggested, you buy a board game and one of your suggested games mm-hmm. is, like, Cards Against Humanity. Um, so she's getting, like, PTSD flashbacks just by going out in public. And because, and he, and uh, so anyway, so she came, she came forward several years ago and was like, this is the story, this is what's going on. And he immediately threatened her with uh, a libel lawsuit. Mm. Um, and this was kind of back before the time of Me Too. And uh, maybe if she'd come out now about it, there would be more traction. Um, but at the time, no one was interested in hearing her story. But one of the things that we could do was get people to stop buying the fucking game. Mm-hmm. And I hear what you're saying about the idea of like, oh, there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. But I have a very personal example of somebody who didn't have as much power and didn't have as much money being then being threatened with a lawsuit um, because she dared to speak out about this terrible thing that happened to her. Then we need... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I I feel like this is kind of what's spurring us to want to have this conversation is it's... Yes, I, I agree with you, Alex. Like, it's... You can't really... Under the current framework, everything that you purchase is in some way going to be going... Going to funnel some sort of great international faceless evil. That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But there... In other respects, where you can kind of point to one person who is profiting off of something who we know is doing something that is wrong and it's something that is very easy to avoid spending money on yes like again authors who are shitty people writing books that are like major bestsellers uh game makers who are shitty people not like the people who create spell uh which go buy that because that yeah (laughs) there's somebody that doesn't eschew toxic masculinity Yeah, yeah thanks tyler you're a good guy yeah um, so three days later, we find out Tyler. No, no, no. <laughs> please don't be a rapist, Tyler. Uh, um, so, but we got so so. You you have games that are largely created by one person or a group of people who do things like this. You got, um, and it's difficult. It's more difficult to say this. I feel like with movies and TV shows, but we'll, I guess we'll get into that later because there are so many people who are involved in making those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and. It, so it's a very easy thing to point to and say, oh, this person does this, and so therefore I'm not going to consume the media or the art that they are that they are creating because by doing so, you are... Supporting them. You are supporting them. And it's, yeah, a, it's a way more A to B kind yeah. of connection right. than... You know, and to be fair, this you is... buy your your groceries, you know, you buy your produce at this store because it's the closest store to you. Mm-hmm. And it's all you can afford and it's owned by Monsanto. And it's all, yeah, yeah. or, yeah, 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 exactly. It's owned by some, like, some giant, you know, mega Nestle, corp yeah. that, that, like, like, uses that money to, like... Steal water from... Steal Af- water yeah. from, yeah, from people... South America. Yeah, from South America or to, like, you know research chemical weapons or whatever you know like Mm. all those things where it's like okay there's this huge nebulous cloud of evil that you can't quite Mm -hmm. see through but at the end of the day you know you still need to buy potatoes to make dinner that sort of a Mm -hmm. thing yeah so 
there is there is a bit of a workaround with, between these two kind of uh, ideas. So the idea... Uh, Are you going to suggest uh, stealing things, Alex? I, I might <laughs> suggest stealing things. So, so there... The, the idea of of um, the internet, you know, back in yeah. the day with with torrenting in the pirate bay, you know, it's it's a way for people to, you know, I, not to suggest illegal activities on on the public forum, but like you know, <laughs> Alex's views do not necessarily represent those of myself or Elise. <laughs> we could uh, we could copy those cards and put them up there for people to print off on their own, and uh, and there are other okay, but here's <laughs> the problem: is that dirtbag mm-hmm. like. They fucking did that. No. You know what I mean? Like, he's using, like, okay, so in the early days of Cards Against Vanity, you didn't pay for it. It wasn't, like, a purchasable. Uh, pur- purchasable. purchasable? Yes. Thank you. Product, it was you, you could, just... you named your price and you donated it and uh. whatever. Um, but now it's become a, a corporate thing. And he's using, I feel like he's using socialist signaling to kind of... Which gets into another thing that really drives me crazy, which I'll get to in a little bit. But he's using kind of like socialist signaling to garner support from other people, mm-hmm. even though he himself is a huge dirtbag. And, um, you know, one of the like and they position themselves. This is something that really pisses me off and probably is also why it pisses me off, too, with one of, you know, Diaz more than like, let's say Woody Allen. Probably Woody Allen. Yeah, Woody Allen but kind of falls into the same thing. As, if I think is it- people using liberal and progressive and sometimes socialist values to kind of swaddle themselves from public scrutiny. Mm -hmm. So after this came out, his response was not, yeah, I'm a fucking rapist because yeah, he's a fucking rapist. Mm -hmm. It was, um, Oh, I, he donates money to STEM programs for women and he donates money for all of these scholarship programs. How can you say he's a terrible person when he does these other things? Because the and Rockefellers do that. Use that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm saying let's put a fucking end to that. Yeah, because that's something that capitalists have been doing since, you know, the, the Gilded Age, the first Gilded Age. Yeah, that doesn't make yeah, it right. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make them good people. <laughs> yeah. So I'm saying, I'm saying like, and it really, and it especially bothers me when people are, when people use you know, I guess my values as a liberal or progressive or whatever, um, to then further their own shitty ass agenda. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I just Yeah, it it, it yeah. pisses pisses us off too. It pisses uh, me. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and and you know Diaz was like huge supporter of immigrant rights and was like espoused a lot of things against racism and was like a really interesting figure in that way. And he did a lot of great things for Latina X voices in publishing. And it kind of, yeah, no, it fucking pisses me off. So, so because it, at the root of it, at the root of it, it is saying inherently, like these are still men buying into a patriarchal structure. It's it's the and modern, buying in what? It's the modern day version of indulgences. Like you're just yeah. kind of mm-hmm. using the money that you're yeah. getting to like buy your way out of all the terrible things that you've done. Yeah, yeah. and 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 also inherently, where you come think come from things from a socialist bent. I inherently come from things from a feminist bent, and these are men that are gaming the system and are still, at their core, supporting a patriarchal system. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I can't get behind. Yeah, I, I agree. So, all right. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but, but I, I mean, I guess that the, the, where we're coming from with this is then, that like, what do we do about... Because as we pointed you out... You burn all your cards against humanity. <laughs> as we pointed out... Like with our bras. 
Okay. As as we pointed out, there are kind of other ways that you can get like Cards Against Humanity. It's also a very like niche example. It's, it's a very niche example. It's becoming less niche. It's becoming very popular. But there are like other games that fill that same sort of thing. That Bitch, get joking hazard. Get joking hazard. Um, there's like a million offshoots of, of this. Um, What's the? Uh, there's I don't know. There's a whole bunch of them that kind of are basically the same game and are almost have the same title, but like are slightly different so yeah. you could really just play any of those knockoffs or make your own i mean or it's a simple enough fucking game it's, to it's copy. apples to apples yeah. i mean that's really ultimately why there are so many knockoffs to it is it was a game that already existed mm-hmm. that yeah. someone just put the like, put like their put an own ex- expletive yeah. Yeah. yeah and so it's a really easy thing to work around but what's less easy to work around and what i feel like becomes a more complicated discussion is again works of art that do have value works of art that like like objectively in terms of like things that they have done for culture things that they have done for the country or or that they've done for their particular art form that are made by people who have done objectively terrible things which is why this is the the woody allen uh woody allen roman polanski quadrant Mm -hmm. because those are two examples of people who have made really like compelling and really interesting works of art. Um, Hitchcock can also be Hitchcock could also be HP Lovecraft. HP Lovecraft. There's a lot of people who have a lot of white dudes. A lot of white white dudes dudes in this quadrant. I'm I'm gonna point out. Yeah. But yeah. (laughs) I mean, but you could throw other. It's mostly dudes. Let's 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 be real here, because then again, there's the guy who um, I can't remember his name right now, but the guy who created that movie a few years ago, um, Birth of a Nation. Oh, w. D. Yeah. Griffith? No, no, not the <laughs> no, original one. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Although guy... he falls in this category too. I mean, but, I think he falls more into Quadrant but, Three as well. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I. No, no, no. The guy that created the remake. I'm gonna look it up now. Yeah. So that guy um, also falls in there. I mean, obviously, you know, Diaz falls into here. Um, Bill Cosby. Uh, people who have made like all people who support a patriarchal structure. Yeah. And benefit from it. But I'm also Nate pointing out... Nate Parker is Nate who you're Parker, looking at. You. I'm Nate, a, Nate Parker. My main point was it's not... It's not all white. Like, this is a multiracial, mostly dude problem. Let's be real with that. Mostly dudes. Mostly dudes. Hashtag Although, mostly dudes. Roseanne also... Roseanne Barr. The Roseanne's the if exception. You're gonna, if you're going to really throw throw one in there, Roseanne Barr. Um, but yeah, like... Token female. Yeah. Anyway. So this is... It, it's a problem with our culture and it's a problem with the patriarchal system for sure um because these people are not outliers they're not like they're not what every once in a while kind of uh anomaly i suppose is the word i'm looking for uh it's something that is constantly happening and as alex pointed out with the hp lovecraft example in dw griffith it's something that's happened for a very long very long time so what can we do about it and like where can we go because like let's Let's take it all the way back. I mean, I, this is mostly like a pop culture podcast, I guess, 
Although we're talking... Except for my random rants about... You want to take this back to Greece? Music history. I don't want to take it all the way back to Greece, but I do want to take it back to, you know, around the dawn of cinema, because this is the, the wheelhouse where I feel most comfortable being able to talk about it. Okay. Um, you going to talk about Thomas Edison? I'm... Well, let's... That's Hashtag another shitbag? Anyway. A, that's a whole other bag of worms. Thomas Edison was, like, real-life Lex Luthor, and he was a terrible person. Um, but but let's start let's start with D.W. Griffith because I feel like that's a good place to start. Okay. Um, and you said you pointed out that you thought that he that he would be in Quadrant Three, so not contributing things of worth to... or or contributing negative things of worth to society. Okay. So what do you, what do you in that his film acted as propaganda that essentially revitalized the Ku Klux Klan in the 1920s? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's also, like, if you're looking at it purely in terms of workmanship and purely in terms of what it does contribute to uh, the, the, the the art form that it was creating, which I think is what we're mostly trying mm-hmm. to talk about in terms of, like, where these things lie, it is something that is an extremely influential work in terms of purely how do you make a movie. Yeah, but, like, so was Lenny Riefenstahl. That yeah. doesn't mean I'm going to yeah, say yeah, yeah. that her film... I was going to say, another... <laughs> another female example yeah. another Le- woman for the quadrant Lenny Riefenstahl, <laughs> Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah. and there was actually um it's kind of funny that, that you bring that up there was a really interesting uh, video that um, Lindsay Ellis did yeah, earlier yeah. this week about uh, Lenny Riefenstahl's con- contribution to cinema I but I'm not but this is where I'm trying to like this is why I'm starting the conversation here mm-hmm. is because it is a clear example of and it like it predates Lenny Riefenstahl so yeah. it's an easier place to look at mm-hmm. it's a clear example of this art is important for the history of the art form, but it is also a terrible, repugnant piece of trash. Like, Birth of a Nation still gets shown in film classes yeah. everywhere. I've mm-hmm. watched bits of it in film classes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it, it, it is, you know, this is a decade ago or less, you know, where, so it's still very much part of what we're talking about. And it's very much part of... unfortunately, due to, like, the circumstances of the time, there wasn't a contemporary of Griffith who was an ethical person. Actually... I would say. I don't know. There was... And this is something that came up fairly recently. Um, I can't remember the woman's name because this was, like, a little factoid that I heard in something else not too long ago. Um... Where it turns out that a lot of the filmmaking techniques, and I don't really want to go into it because it, it's, it would take too much time, A, and B, film is a visual art form, and so we won't really be able to show it. But if you're unfamiliar, if you don't know D.W. Griffith or Birth of a Nation, it's a silent film that it contributed, it did a lot of things, supposedly first-time things for cinema, um, particular types of edits, um, the particular, length, particular, particular types of shots, yeah, the length of it, um, the complexity of the storytelling, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but as Alex pointed out, it is a movie that is about where, where the the Ku Klux Klan are the heroes at mm-hmm. the end, and yeah. it did uh, it it did uh, explicitly kind of contribute to the rise of, the re rise of the Ku Klux Klan, I should say, because mm-hmm. they had been in in, in decline uh, in the 1920s and 30s. Uh, but it also gave birth in a lot of ways to the modern language of cinema if you have seen a movie at any point in the last 80 years the filmmaker has in some way been uh influenced by things that were originated in birth of the nation if not directly influenced then vicariously through other things Mm -hmm. 
Um, but there was something that I saw recently, and I, and I wish I had done my research on this before we started taping, um, is that there was also a black woman filmmaker around the same time, and actually slightly before, who was doing a lot of these same techniques, who has kind of been, not quite erased from history, like her stuff is still well known, or still is still like ex exodent, um, but it, it doesn't get talked about or taught as much as Birth of a Nation does. Um, and I think Elise is doing the research for this now while I'm talking. Um, but it's, it's really, really fascinating that this guy, and it's not necessarily that he stole these ideas because they were being developed basically at the same time. Um, but the fact that one gets all the credit and the other doesn't. And like one is very much viewed as being a toxic kind of stain on the history of film, if an important one. Um, and the other person is, is barely talked about at all. Um, and so I think that's kind of where, where I'd like to start talking about this is because this is basically, it's not quite the beginning of cinema, but it is the beginning of modern cinema, the beginning mm. of cinema as people mm. understand it today. Her name it. is Drusilla Dungy Houston. There you go. Who wrote a screenplay in 1915 to challenge D.W. Griffith's Birth of the Nation called Spirit of the South, The Madden Mobbed. The film was never made, and she never actually directed a film to anyone's current knowledge. Then there are those who say the title belongs to Zora Neale Hurston, who made several anthropological documentary silent films chronicling black Southern rural life, such as Children Games, Logging, both in 1928, and Baptism in 1929. I don't think it was... I don't know. I'll have to look into it, because it, it was a... And then there is Yolois King Patrick Giss. Elo probably Eloise. Eloise. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Eloise. Um, who, along with her husband, James Gist, directed religious films that were shown to community groups and church congregations such as Hellbound Train, 1929, and Verdict Not Guilty, 1930. I don't think that was her because it was a little bit later. But I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to do a little bit of research into it. Um, um, and the last one is there's seven, as I said, six years earlier in 1923, Maria P. Williams, who lived in Kansas City, made a feature film called The Flames of Rap. So. I'll have to do a little bit of research and come back to this at a later date. But um, um, if you want the article, it was who was the first American African American woman director? The answer isn't as simple as you think. From IndieWire. Okay. If you want to look that up. Um. So while we're still doing research on this, and while while we're still trying to figure this out, the point, the fact of the matter is that D. W. Griffith is widely credited. Let's say. Mm. of being the, the father of modern cinema and also an about racist. And, you know, that very clearly shows in his work. Mm -hmm. um, so let's start the conversation here with pieces of art that are studied for technical merits who are created by terrible people and have terrible messages. Like, where where do we stand on on the value of these things. Can we divorce these, the art from the artist in cases like this? I would. I will also say, though, and I'll also point out, that these are studied because the, the field of film history or filmography, um, as far as in academia, is still very much bent towards white men and yes. certainly predating any time before the 1990s, just pulling a time out of my ass, 
Um, it's the overwhelming, the film directors who we think of as being very iconic, like George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, all of them, when they studied film, most likely studied under, film underneath a white man. And it's a lot easier, I would also argue, it's a lot easier in a nice society for white men to distance themselves from the the subject matter of the art and to look at something from purely a technical point of view. I feel like that is something that is more so more so in rooted in white male privilege. Yeah. And so the reason why these films get studied is also inherently because of is is also inherently a matter of white male privilege. Mm-hmm. Um that's why like Lenny Riefenstahl gets studied. That's why W um Lenny Riefenstahl was a woman. I know she was a woman, <laughs> but it's also like but the act of distancing yourself yeah. oh, I see from, from the, the source art, material, gotcha, source gotcha, material gotcha. I feel like is a privilege more afforded more. to white men in our society I, than other groups. I think that in the case of these two, because like I know they're, you know, if we want to go chronologically, they're not the same time, yeah, yeah, although they're, they're the closest. They're fairly close, yeah. but yeah, they're not contemporary. But like when it comes to, I don't think you can, and I don't think you should, um, you know, view triumph of will and birth of a nation you know and try to point out the merits of oh look at this tracking shot look at yeah. this you know, i think what you should need to do is you need to completely cut and separate those aspects from the film and make sure you understand the film in the idea ideology that basically created them yeah and i don't think that you know these are films that have you know these are, are pieces of media that have negative effects on the world, you know, at the time and it's even later on today. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and just because they happen to come up with some new, unique way of filmmaking doesn't mean that they should be lauded while, you know, make, you know disagreeing with the author. Now, I think where it gets a weird is when you have a work that doesn't seem to have much to do or little to do with the ideology of the author. Yeah, I agree with you there. That I, and I kind of want to, I, I kind of want to move into that slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to exhaust each of these things before we get yeah. into the next step. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree that it's something that, yeah. I mean, without, it, while still acknowledging the fact that without those filmmakers we would not have the films that we have today. And I love talking about films. I love film history and I love watching and dissecting movies. And so I understand that those things are important, but we could be talking about completely different films. We could with completely different styles. We could be, but the point is like, the fact is that like the ones that currently do exist would not exist Mm -hmm. without these filmmakers. And that to me is what makes it. So like, like, Lindsay Ellis points out in her video, um, in her video about the new Star Wars franchises, um, George, like the way that, um, the way that Lenny Riefenstahl filmed Hitler, the way that she filmed wide shots of troops, like these are shots that you can see in George Lucas's work. Yeah, like like that is like that's how thick the tie is. Between Lenny Riefenstahl and the Star Wars trilogy, so I, I I think that's what Nick is getting at. Yeah, yeah, and like, and it's not just that. Like, I mean, if we're taking it back to Birth of a Nation, I'm like, I'm saying that nothing exists. Like, like 
I don't know, to give kind of an extreme example, do the right thing does not exist if there is no birth of a nation. Like, that's kind of where you, like... I mean, you could argue that some other, you know, creator may have come up with it, or you could argue that the films that would have existed would be, like, the 20-minute shorts that exist, like, the you, ba- the train robbery. You could you know? argue that. Yeah. You could Which ar- was made by Thomas Edison's company, wasn't it? The train robbery? No. Okay, never mind. So. Sorry. Um... But the, the you could argue that, but I'm I'm talking about like actual objective, like the reality that we live uh-huh, in uh-huh. is the reality of this movie was made by a terrible person. It is on a terrible subject. But if you want to understand film and the language of film and how the language of film has evolved over the last century, you need to understand what this movie does and why it does it. Mm-hmm. Like that's and that's what makes it extremely difficult. Now, obviously. You can watch a movie and go in and enjoy it and like have a like a completely under like intelligent conversation about that movie without having ever even heard of it. Like that's like because we're so far removed from that now in terms of history. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I'm talking about like if you want to understand the art form, like how the art has evolved, that is something that you at least need to be slightly familiar with, mm-hmm. which is extremely uncomfortable. I mean, even like as Elise points out. It's probably one of the reasons why film is a is a medium that is dominated by primarily white men, um, because that discomfort is lessened by distance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's something that we need to talk about and be able to kind of address because it's also something that we need to work through if we're going to have other voices in at least American filmmaking. Obviously. In other parts of the world, in Bollywood, in uh, Hollywood, in Japan, like these France, are, yeah, yeah, France, these these issues are not the same. There are other issues. There are other issues for sure, mm-hmm. but they're not they're not exactly the same. But they are also influenced by American filmmakers, who in turn are influenced by W. D. Griffith. Like all roads lead kind of back to that movie in a mm. lot of ways. Um, so it, it is, and it's easy. And I see what you're saying, Alex, when you're, when you're saying like you, you need to cut that part off from it. And I feel like to the, for the most part, that's kind of what is done mm-hmm. is you just are kind of yeah. like, all right, editing techniques, mm-hmm. shot composition, yeah. s- complexity of storytelling, mm-hmm. all of these things. But while you're doing but... that, you cannot forget and, and, you know, let die in the in the history yes. the racist origin of yeah. it. Yeah. And I but think... when you're dealing what needs to be valued, you do not need to value the story of Birth of a Nation, the the product itself. Not yeah, yeah, not the story itself. Mm-hmm. But but the I don't I don't think many people do. And I, don't and think I wonder do. if that's no. and I wonder if there's a, a I wonder if there's also a danger in that. Yeah. Woodrow Wilson loved it. Woodrow Wilson was also, yeah. you know. No, I know. <laughs> he, sh- he screened it in the White House and said that every American should watch it. God damn it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like... They named a bridge I, after I, him. I, I, <laughs> getting, getting back to my point from... Never mind. No, I don't no, know, no, no, go, go back ahead, to your point. I, I, I don't know. I was just going to say, like, getting back to my point from earlier, um, maybe we shouldn't completely divorce artists from their subject matter. Maybe that's why we're in this position in the first place is because for so long, so many people, you know, Harvey Weinstein was able to do what he did because other people turned a blind eye because his movies were so good. Yeah. Because he greenlit, I mean, 
motherfucker greenlit Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But did he actually you do know, anything yeah, with and the that's, creation of I was uh, I was actually just about <laughs> yeah. to bring that yeah. up, is that Harvey Weinstein is a producer. Right. And I don't really think that make he that that has him adjacent to artists. Right. But he is not an artist in and of itself. I feel like okay. that's a completely different part of it because like right. he has been completely cut out from this at this point. Yeah. And, and so when you're when you go to watch Lord of the Rings, when you pick up something from the Weinstein company, that dude does not get any of that money anymore because he has been completely destroyed and cut out. And you can't completely remove, like, all he did was put okay. up the money. But, but, he was allowed to have a hand in filmmaking. Yeah. He was allowed because people turned a blind eye to what he was doing because, like, with um, harassing women, with sexually assaulting women, mm-hmm. um, because they were like, but the stuff that he produces, yeah. in so far as putting up the money, is so good. Yeah. Uh, but and and so he was allowed to repeatedly destroy tons of women's lives because of this like uh, because because predominantly white men were turning a blind eye to it mm-hmm. and so that's why that's I guess my issue is like no like we need to fucking put put birth of, like you should know what birth of a nation yeah. is yeah. you should put it back in its historical context you should understand that like this is a fucked up film because of the ideas that it espouses. Yeah. And I guess it's like, but but that turning a blind eye. No. Do you you know in favor of? I'm, what I'm saying is that you should do that. You should you should yeah. watch okay. it. You should understand it in its context, but you shouldn't put it on a pedestal. Yeah. Because okay. of the techniques that come of it, you shouldn't okay. you shouldn't say yeah this movie's terrible, but look at this tracking shot. You know. But that's exactly what happened. But you shouldn't do that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. But Just because it happens doesn't mean I agree that it should be. It's, it's, okay, also, I don't want, I don't it's also a movie that is completely, like, and, and Triumph of the Will is the same way. Mm-hmm. It's also something that where they're both only um, talked about in, like, a clinical kind of academic setting. Like, mm. No one, I'm not going to say no. I'm sure there's someone. There's some there's Pepe. Some, there's some Pepe out there. Very few people go get home from a long day at the office, and you're they're like, man, you know what I really could go for is, is some Triumph of the Will. You know, like they're not gonna pop that into their Blu-ray player unless you're a fucking skinhead. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there. Like, that's why I said I'm not gonna say no one about it. But and, and like, can we like, are there are there are there analogs in like other art forms? Cause I'm like, I'm having a hard time thinking of something that is so clearly important in terms of technique, but so clearly toxic in terms of content and creator. Like, like, I, do you I, want me to, to go on a rant about music history? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> I, that's exactly what I was hoping for, actually. Uh, so in the 19th century, there was this motherfucker named Wagner. Oh, okay. Yeah. I should have known that's where we were going. Okay. Go ahead. Um, who created the opera's The Ring Cycle, which if you've ever watched an episode of Looney Tunes, it's kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. That is, directly comes from The Ring Cycle that Wagner created. Wagner's a douchebag, all right? You know who loved Wagner? Hitler, all right. Um, Side note, Hitler also loved filmmakers who did not love him. His favorite movie, uh, reportedly. Yep, if, if Wagner 
was alive during Hitler's time, they would have gotten a fucking. They probably would have. Okay, like he's a douchebag. But uh, anyway, Hitler's favorite movie was a film called M, which was directed by Fritz Long, and Fritz Long did not like Hitler. <laughs> and shortly after Hitler's rise to power, he moved to the United States. Anyway, sorry. Side note. <laughs> so anyway, um, but he's also largely credited with you know how we build theaters now. Um, the fact that like you go into a dark room. Um, to go see like a play, and then I would I would argue that since theater or excuse me since filmmaking comes out is very much direct uh, tied to theater, it's kind of the same similar reasons as to why we like when you go to a movie you sit in a dark room, um, and all this all the rows are pushed together, and then you have aisles on the side. Yeah, that's because of Richard Wagner. That was because of how he designed his theater because it was the best way for him to get his music out there. Mm-hmm. Huge anti-Semite like really yeah and this is why i'm saying like him and him him and hitler would get a beer together um because they're both huge anti-semites um but you know his contributions to music history um there there's a very cinematic quality of the music that comes out of um uh like the the ring cycle and the other things that he's written there's a very cinematic quality about it um all of the composers from like I would I would I would bet so much money that like Howard Shore and John Williams and Hans Zimmer have all studied Richard Wagner. Because mm-hmm. fucking I had to study Richard Wagner. You know what I mean? Um you know, and that had a has had a he has had a direct influence on a lot of very famous composers. And also just how we watch theater, how we listen to um concerts it Mm -hmm. it, a lot of that stems from his aesthetic values okay so we burn down all the theaters (laughs) (laughs) um but that's like if you want an analog that's a really good mm -hmm. analog so then i would ask you because i i mean i'm i'm familiar with his music mostly through looney tunes and but is there anything (laughs) anti-semitic in this yeah that's kind of what what i was going with that is is it it is because I mean, Birth of a the Nation. The characters of Mime in The go. Ring, Sextus Bexmeyer in Die Metzschwinger, and Kiltsnor in Parasol are sometimes claimed as Jewish representations, though they're not identified as such in libra- uh, librettos of these operas. It was kind of in that very like tongue in cheek way of like, haha, you know what this guy is with his gigantic nose, but we're not going to like come out and say it. Mm, uh, yeah, no, he's fucking racist. Yeah. And his music was also kind of racist. So there, there is a bit of that. It's not quite as so. It sounds like it's not quite as overt as mm-hmm. say, you know, the bad guys in uh, in Birth of a Nation all being white dudes in blackface. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but it's still it's still you know up there and questionable and needs to be you know pointed yeah. out and, yeah. and yeah. noted. So I mean I I think we're kind of all on the same more or less on the same opinion on this one where it's like if it's something that's that basically created things as they exist today even if they're created by horrible monsters like richard wagner or richard wagner or or wd griffith you can look at the techniques and be be aware of the the terrible cesspool of like horrible racism from which they stemmed um but yeah, like very again, very few people. I feel like Wagner is actually more of an interesting conversation because a lot more people 
listen to Wagner as yeah. just kind of for funsies today than, yeah. than people who sit down to watch Birth of a Nation. Yeah. All like six hours of that movie. Or you know, and like the ring cycle is. Like is three hugely, days long. It's, it's like, three days, but it's also like it's really you know it's still a popular work. Yeah. Um. Everybody fucking knows Ride of the Valkyries. Mm-hmm. Um. Even if it's just Kill the Wabbit. Uh. Like you know it. You or know? from Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Um. But in the same vein that like W D Griffith W. Ugh, yes. D W Griffith. Sorry, that's my dyslexia coming out again. I mean, I, I think I said it earlier. Studied, myself, yeah. So, yeah. Stu- you know, I might have as well. Everybody studied his work. All of your favorite cinematic composers. I bet, I bet my bottom dollar, as as Annie would say, mm-hmm. have have also studied uh, the works of Richard Wagner. All right, so. So what do we do? Where, what's our What's our verdict on on this what's particular era? I don't, I don't know, man. I, I well, think, well, are, I know, are we going to bring it? I mean, if we're, if we're count, I mean, where's the era start? Where does it? Well, end? I, I'm I'm because do we want to talk I'm about H.P. Lovecraft? I'm using era. Yeah, let's talk about Lovecraft here for a little bit too. Because Lovecraft was a you know terrible, terrible racist. His cat's name was the N word. Yeah. Jesus, and, really? Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, and um. Why do you have to bring the cat into this? I That's don't know, bullshit. man. Uh, what else? What it else? It was a black cat, I guess. Yeah. The um. He loved that cat, though. So so he. <laughs> Inappropriate. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> a lot of the things in in the uh, his private writings talk about his concern about uh, the the lesser races of, of immigrants coming to our, you know, it, it, it's Trump stuff. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, it does somewhat blend into his work. A if little a little bit. bit. Yeah. In I, that I, you know, more than a little bit more, in some yeah. cases. It, like for example, a lot of the, the villains that side with the, the, uh, the elder beings that, you know, for, you know, for create the cults are these, what he would deem as these kind of, he uses the word mongoloid peoples. Yeah. Um, and, uh, He's got like what was it, the the horror at Red Hook or something like that was just like Protestant wasp concerns over immigrants to New York or something like that. Maybe I don't remember that story. Uh, but um, I remember the one where the guy like the the guy who thought he was like like waspy New England yeah. type turns out to be like turns out to be a fish man. Um, well, that one there's the one where he turns out to be a fish man. There's the other one where the guy is like an ape. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one's like kind of overt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not that's not coded Call for of, anything. No, no. Call of Cthulhu is also fairly overt when they find the 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 tro- the uh, what is it the 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 cults down in Louisiana. In Louisiana, yeah. Um, and so like there are all these little hints and nods at it, you know, in in the way that Wagner did it, maybe even more so. Yeah, um, I'd say way yeah, more yeah. so. <laughs> um, and and yet. You know he's lauded as, and you know I will admit, I love Lovecraftian work, but I have to understand that he is a terrible person yeah. and so divorce you, you know, this, you... this is kind of um, what what is the word where you, where you have two conflicting opinions at the same time? Paradox. Mm, not... Double think. Double think. Yeah, I have to double think. <laughs> it. There's there's an actual word for it, but yeah, yeah. I have to double think it. Uh, are you talking about um? Uh, co- Cognitive, Cognitive dissonance. dissonance. Yeah, yeah, I think it's something like that. Yeah. Um, so, and then then there are other people that are saying that as he grew older, he grew out of it and actually married a Jewish woman 
albeit on the attempts to try to anglicize her, which failed miserably, and then they divorced. But, you know, like, I don't know, and I want you guys to take it from here, because like I said, <laughs> I'm stuck in that cognitive dissonance. Yeah. So, uh, so let's, I feel like we have to, I feel like we have to put H.P. Lovecraft and Richard Wagner in a different camp from D.W. Griffith mm-hmm. and, um, and Lenny Riefenstahl. Because I feel like those two, it's very clearly, again, no one sits down to actually watch those films. Right. Like, you study them in film school to, like, here are the shots, here are the angles, here are the things, like, this is what this is doing, and oh, by the way, these people are terrible, but, like, this created, you know, again, the language of modern cinema, Mm -hmm. so you need to know it, but also be aware of where it came from. And I feel like that is probably the right place to put it in, is, like... The, the clinical kind of academic study of this is like this is where they're coming from kind of like it's it's almost like um i suppose if you're a, a like a constitutional lawyer mm. like the same sort of thing is like yeah there's there's stuff about like freedom of the press and freedom of religion also, also there's a three-fifths compromise yeah. and indians who don't pay taxes don't count as people but you know you still need to know where this is coming from in historical context mm-hmm. like that kind of a thing um whereas hp lovecraft and wagner i feel fall into a more complicated thing and this is probably where we're going to be for most of the rest of it because like though like the dw griffiths of the world it's like i feel like most people have kind of come to a verdict on mm. where where they land which is terrible person terrible message but also very important to the study of this particular art form but lovecraft again because this is one that people do read for pleasure yourself mm-hmm. and myself included and um like we've talked a lot about lovecraft uh i don't think ever really on on recording but we're both really big fans of his mm-hmm. work um and yeah, I feel like, I, I mean, I kind of am in the same place as you, where when I see things like that, or I think, it, is it him? Or it's or maybe it's Cool Air. I can't remember. There's one where there's, like, this big, long thing about, like, the, the, uh, the protagonist is getting this horrible vision of these terrible yellow hordes rising out of Asia and conquering yeah. the world, like... There are moments where it gets super overt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And also, I I don't know if this is like a conversation that we want to bring up or if this is like adding too much file to our, you know, fuel to the fire. But um, you think, I think about, in talking about Lovecraft, I thought about the Simpsons controversy Mm. with Apu and how it kind of started off as what some white dudes in a writer's room in LA in the nineties would think of as like an innocent joke about yeah. racism with Apu, um, who's the Indian character voiced by a white guy making an accent whose accent is actually based off of another portrayal of a white guy to pretending to be an Indian guy. Um, and, and, and is now, and now it's the Simpsons has been on for 30 fucking years at this point. Mm-hmm. And what do we what do we do now with these earlier episodes? And then they tried to they really mishandled the controversy um, with the there was a documentary made for True TV of all places about the problem with the poo mm-hmm. 
and um, in which like the filmmaker who's Indian American interviewed other Indian Americans about like their kind of take on Apu and the history of that character. Um, and it's that sort of, I don't want to say like accidental racism because I feel like that mm-hmm. excuses it to a certain extent, but it's certainly, I don't think, I think it came from a place of idiocy rather than overt malice. Yeah. In contrast to Lovecraft, where it probably did come from a place of malice. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, you know, versus like, we're just some dumb idiots in the 90s in a writer's room in L.A. I don't know. I feel like with, with Lovecraft and with his works, it's more... It is definitely coming from a place of malice. But it's also usually subordinate to something else. And I feel like that's kind of why I can justify enjoying it, like enjoying his his stories, is because the things that I get out of it are his prose, which is not amazing, but it is very unique and very much like if you're reading a Lovecraft story, you, you know, know it. you're reading a Lovecraft yeah. story. Yeah. Um. I enjoy that aspect of it. I enjoy the cosmic horror elements. Like, cosmic horror is something that has kind of influenced a lot of other things that I love, like Dark Souls. Um, and In case yeah. you thought we were going to get through an episode uh, without nope. a Dark Souls reference. Nope, not going to happen. <laughs> um, but it does. I mean, like, that's a very big part of it. More more so Bloodborne, but but uh, even of the, the original Dark Souls series, mm-hmm. it's a very big part of that. Um and so I enjoy that aspect of it. I enjoy seeing where these things have come from. Um, I enjoy the mythology of the universe that he's created with these aliens and gods and all these monsters and like kind of where mankind falls into all of this. And then, you know, when you get to that stuff, I kind of mostly write it off. Like when you get to the other parts of it, like the, the, the racism parts, I mostly write it off as it's a product of its time but even then it's not because like even by its time standards it was you know at least not the maybe not the work but at least lovecraft by its time standards right was you know still pretty fucking racist yeah no that's true but i'm i'm saying like like the way that he depicts like people in africa or Mm -hmm. the way that he depicts black americans those rare times when he does in his work or the way that he depicts i mean the way that he doesn't depict women. The way that he yeah. doesn't depict women. I think that's more based on... I think he was just kind of weird and didn't really understand women more than anything else. Yeah. I don't think that he was a particularly romantic, sexual person. And I think a lot of his weirdness with women comes mostly from that. Kind of like Tolkien in the same way. Mm. Um, no, Tolkien's weirdness with women, that's 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 Catholicism. Uh, fair enough. That, that, that's just like, this is how you're taught to view women in the Catholic Church. And and that is very very evident in the way that he writes women. But the but all the other ways that that Lovecraft depicts people of other races in his writing, if you read other pulp adventure stories from that same time period, mm-hmm. they're all going to be about the same. Mm. Um, which is not by any means excusing those ideas, but it's saying like if you're going to read something from this time period. You got to know in advance. That's what you're gonna get. Yeah, yeah like... and and maybe you know you could do the thing that Disney did when they released their wartime cartoons, mm-hmm. where it was like you know have a disclaimer at the beginning saying this work was super fucking racist then, it's super fucking racist now, 
But, but yeah. you know, know this, now watch it. Yeah, and I, I think that there's a place for that with Lovecraft. And I feel that Lovecraft is really in an interesting place, especially at this point in history. Mm-hmm. Because Lovecraft's works now are starting to influence young black writers to talk about racism using the veil of cosmic horror. Mm. Um, And I think I've talked about these books before on the podcast, but I'm going to mention them again. There's two really, really good ones by two different authors. I'm going to have to look them up. Um, One of them is called The Ballad of Black Tom. Uh, The other one is called uh, Lovecraft Country. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know you've talked about Lovecraft Country before. So both of them are written by black writers uh, about black protagonists um, in or shortly after the time that Lovecraft was writing. Um, Ballad of Black Tom is is written by Victor LaVale. uh, And Lovecraft Country is written by Matt Ruff. Um... So, Ballad of Black Tom is a is a novella about a uh, a musician slash hustler like like kind of low level criminal living in Harlem in the 1920s. I think is when it's set, um, and he gets a job finding a um, a magic book to bring to somebody and kind of gets wrapped up in this thing. And the whole thing is basically an allegory for, like, like basically using the idea of cosmic horror as something that is unseen but affecting your life as kind of an allegory for, like, like white privilege and racism mm-hmm. affecting well-meaning white people mm-hmm. is kind of the way that I viewed it. Um, there's a very kind of on-the-nose metaphor that happens to one of the white characters in it towards the end that I'm not going to go into spoilers about it, but it's very like clear. Like once you see this, it cannot be unseen kind of a thing, Mm -hmm. Um, which coming from the hands of a black character in the 1920s written in a Lovecraftian style. To me, it's kind of obvious what the author is going for in terms of like, you can't ignore this kind of thing. But you know, to, to kind of stop there, like, we you could do that for that, but then you also might want to do that for like Birth of a Nation, like, like yeah. judging it off of how it's influenced other things. Yeah, is not necessarily the way to go with this. What? Why do you say that? Well, it's it's like like you said, like every film since Birth of a Nation has been influenced. It here we have two, you know, like you say, really good, you know, novels that have come ref, you know, as a direct result to H.P. Lovecraft's work. That doesn't necessarily forgive Lovecraft's work. I'm not saying it does forgive no. it, but I'm saying it gives it it gives it new context. Mm. So if you're stu- looking at the original work, and I guess that's just kind of where we keep coming back to the same thing, is that context is super important. Yeah. It's like, you can read these things or watch these things or listen to these things and enjoy them for what they are, but you have to understand also the history of where they're coming from in the history of the people who are making them so that you recognize and can kind of better help to absorb, I suppose, Mm -hmm. or not, maybe not absorb, but to better help, uh, contextualize, I guess is the word I want to use. Um, the, the negative parts of who they are as people. 
Because I guess when it comes down to it, what we're really talking about here is the fact that even our most valuable works of art, our most valuable like cultural touchstones are all things that are created by people and people are flawed. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're looking at something where one person is getting most of the credit, like in works uh, that are being written or works that are composed or you know films that you know where we consider the off the, the director to be the auteur like these are all things where it's very easy to kind of take the negatives of that one person and apply it to the whole work mm -hmm. and this is something that i think i alluded to earlier and i guess this is now is a good time to get into it but when we're getting into the world of film and television as Elise was talking about earlier with the simpsons or with the what's recently happened with roseanne i mean there's kind of been a lot of things about that where it's like none of the other people who worked on this show and like just came to work and did their jobs mm -hmm. no one else did anything like 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 made shitty racist tweets no you know like yeah, there, there was somebody on facebook that said we should just replace roseanne's characters played by danny devito and not say anything about it yeah 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 <laughs> there was also the one where it's um like just just keep everyone there and just make it about john goodman's character <laughs> just like roseanne died <laughs> Why not? Like they did the same thing to John Goodman apparently in the uh, the last season of the original run of the show, and then they brought him back. So, mm. you know, yeah, <laughs> just kill her off now. Like now it's about how John Goodman has to take care of the family. I guess I don't know. That'd be a thing. That'd be I'd, a thing. I'd be I've more never watched. I've never, I've seen never Roseanne. watched Roseanne either. <laughs> I'd be more interested in watching that show though than Roseanne. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean it's. When we're talking about authors, it's very easy to kind of get into this yes or no. Like, you and I have definitely kind of, I felt, felt like we can divorce Lovecraft's racism from his work. Like, we enjoy his work in spite of the racism mm -hmm. in it. Um, and I feel like it, it's very easy to do that. But then when you get in, but, but there are other authors where it's more difficult. For me, I find Orson Scott Card, like, what much more difficult to get back into now that I kind of know more about him personally, mm -hmm. even though the Ender books, which are kind of very different from his own personal beliefs in a lot of ways and very much divorced from his personal beliefs in a lot of ways, I can't read them anymore because I know so much about how terrible Orson Scott Card is as a person. Yeah. And maybe it has something to do with time. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that these people are still alive and yeah. still creating things in a time when we should be better than this. Yeah, and I think that's probably got to do with a lot with my mindset, too. Mm -hmm. Like, as I mentioned, H.P. Lovecraft, I feel like a lot of that you can say, all right, well, if, if you're going to read anything from this period of history of this kind of genre, buckle in and get yourself ready for some racism. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I... Yeah, with, with Orson Scott Card, I mean, again, it's not really overtly in Ender's Game. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of stuff that's in Ender's Game. That, and I saw a thing recently where he was talking about, like, you know, Orson Scott Card is this terrible homophobe. But a lot of LGBTQIA plus youth um, reading Ender's Game in middle school, reading it in high school, kind of were really inspired by it because mm. it's about this kid who's ostracized for no other reason except for like who he is um you know what i mean like like the, the how he was born is the reason why he gets bullied which can be a very powerful thing to read if you're not straight 
or you know not of the ethnic majority of your high school or whatever like for whatever reason like Mm -hmm. stupid reason kids in your middle school are bullying you like that's a powerful thing to see but then i read into what orson scott carr believes and i read some of his other works like his rewriting of hamlet wherein uh the ghost of old hamlet is being uh punished forever in hell because he was like a pederast and like like molested young hamlet and like a few of the other minor characters in the play and the reason why he wants hamlet to try to get revenge is so he can die in the attempt and be in hell with him so he can molest him more or something it's really really (laughs) fucked up and really really like it's entirely exclusively about like how homosexuals are all child molesters uh like overtly (laughs) um and so sounds terrible it is terrible (laughs) and so i feel like that's kind of going back to what you were saying alex where this is it's a matter of time it's a matter of like chronological distance Mm. where it's like if i go out and i buy an hp lovecraft paperback that's not going to go to H.P. Lovecraft directly where he's going to write another story where he's like, and by the way, Trump's totally right. We should build the wall. They're bringing in their ancient dead gods <laughs> into our country. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, he's not going to do that. Mm-hmm. But if I go out and I buy, you know, the next book in the Ender's Cycle, even though the book itself might be perfectly fine, it's going to encourage Orson Scott Card to write his crazy, like, it's merchant of venice but but jews are pedophiles and uh, if you prick him will he not also go like diddle a kid at the ymca or something <laughs> like i don't know what are you gonna do with that money orson uh, yeah. what are you doing with it or or in the case of cards against humanity using the money that you've garnered from the sale of your product to then threaten lawsuits mm. against the women who've accused you of sexual assault yeah so So there's like a very practical example i guess that that brings us then though to if if, that thing brings us then though to what about people who have done really fucked up things but the really fucked up things they did were like 30 years ago (laughs) like there's a reason why this is the Woody Allen quadrant. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's talk about Woody Allen. Let's talk about Woody Allen. Because oh, I'm not as familiar with what Woody Allen did. So why don't you go ahead and let that go? Annie work. Hall. And, I don't know. I mean, yes. Annie Hall's a great movie. Yeah. All of, a lot of his movies, well, his recent movies, uh, I can take or leave. But, like, everything up through Annie Hall, is, is, I think, is really good. And a lot of the movies that came after Annie Hall are also really good. However, uh... Woody Allen also, like... Adopted a girl in order to groom her to become his wife? Allegedly. I mean, that, that that's entirely possible that that's what happened. Like, uh, let's... Really? That's entirely let's, possible? Let's, that's not what I, happened? I don't want to say... Not, you know, I don't want to say He adopted grooming. a 12-year-old, and then, you know, several years later, she becomes his wife. Okay, I, but you that, know, is, that is what happened. Grooming, that is grooming, what happened. I don't want to say... That's a fucking thing. I know it's a thing. I know it's a thing. I don't want to say that that's exactly what happened because like, I don't want to use the word grooming is all I'm saying because I'm trying to stay fairly objective about this. And, and I'm not what saying... What else do you describe I'm not the saying, path that Elise, led from that? Please, to... I'm not saying that it's not grooming, but I'm also... What I'm saying is that it is 
you can't like I don't know what their lives were. I don't know what this was, okay? I'm saying I'm not saying it's not fucked up. I'm saying it's fucked up. The point that I'm saying what I'm trying to say is that it was he and his wife at the time adopted this girl or like it was his stepdaughter or something um like his maybe his wife adopted this girl cuz I think his wife adopted her before they were married. I think. Okay, we're, we're, I'm looking up the Wikipedia. Please do. Because that's why I wanted, was trying to avoid it, because I didn't know the order of events. But I think when he married her, the, this woman, um, she had already adopted Sunye. I think. And then years later, they, they got divorced. But Woody Allen maintained a relationship with the stepdaughter, and then they got divorced many, or they got married many years later after she was an adult woman. So, I'm not saying it's not grooming. But I'm also saying that, like, that is such a weird... Like, there are no other things in the world that look specifically like that to be able to say what the fuck was happening there or what was happening in their minds. Because that is a really weird sequence of events to go through. All right. Okay, so you're looking it up. Um, allegedly, he he didn't have that much contact. So she was adopted when she was seven. Okay. Um, and then she was she had little supposedly little contact with Alan until 1990. Okay. And then she asked she asked to accompany him on a basketball game. They attended more games together, and by 1991, and become closer. And then in September of 1991, she began uh, her studies at Drew University in New Jersey. And then in 1992, Farrow found nude photographs of 22-year-old Sunye in Alan's home. Alan, then 57, told Farrow that he had taken them the day before, around two weeks after he'd had sex with Sunye. So, supposedly they didn't have sex until after she was in her 20s. Yeah. That, I'm just saying, like, this sounds like a lot of weird-ass bullshit. It's, it, I'm not saying it's not weird. It's certainly weird as fuck. Yeah. But what I am saying is that I don't want to use the word grooming because, like, there's... Grooming has a very specific... Yes. Has a very specific definition of, like, you have, you have taken an interest in a younger... You are an yes. older man. Generally, an older man taking an interest in a younger person and then, like, encouraging them to have sex and a romantic relationship with you through the process of like encouragement and and, and trying, which, trying to yeah. teach you yeah. which is yeah. which is not the same thing as older man younger woman right make a connection and the woman as is of dubious age, as, as, as dubious as it is and as weird as that situation is i don't want to use that word however i will say that he has had a long history of other predatory behaviors with women right. so let's so talk and, about those and yeah so let's talk about those so that's what i'm wanting to talk about is okay. that the sunyi thing is kind of one in a long stream of Woody Allen having a very kind of like fucked up and sometimes abusive relationship with women. I don't know as much about like the 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 allegations of abuse, but um I mean l- l- the 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 point of it being like as far as I'm aware, the last of these allegations were like 1980s, maybe 1990s. 
in terms of like de- deliberate um, things that he... he's doing? Molested. He molested his adopted daughter Dylan Farrow. Oh. When she was seven. Okay. I didn't um, know that. I did not know that one actually. That's a new one on me. Yeah. Because I always assumed that they, when people talked about that, they were talking about Soon Yi. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Like, sh- yeah. Okay. Um. So this is Mia Farrow's other adopted daughter, Dylan. Um. He allegedly, but I mean, yeah, no. Okay. He, he molested her. Okay. Um. And I guess like, and also just to back up, the reason why I'm so firmly, if you look at the statistics. Like, it's in the upper 90s as far as, like, true rape allegations. Yeah. Like, like false rape allegations are incredibly rare. There is a documented pattern for how they happen. And generally, if they fall within the pattern, then, yeah, it probably is. But the vast majority of the time, if somebody is accused of rape, they did it. Okay. Like, just look at rain.org. Yeah. For statistics and facts, but like that's just that's where I'm coming from. We, we should we should start any, out any sort of incel y'all yeah. wanna come at me. The numbers don't lie. We should start off on the assumption, you know, always that women are telling the truth about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't give me that shit about like, oh, we gotta weigh this, that. No. Start off with that assumption and work from there. Uh, Sorry, but like yeah. I, I don't know anything about these, so I'm not a good person. And I, I've only, I haven't watched a Woody Allen movie in a very long time either. So mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I'm necessarily the best qualified person to be, to be right. responding to this. Um, so let's talk about the, the, the Woody Allen films. Okay. All right. Um, what is the, what are the problematic, if any? things with the Woody Allen films divorced from Woody Allen's divorced from Woody Allen himself. I'm not sure. I mean, I, everything up through Eddie Hall Mm -hmm. is fairly difficult to say things that are problematic because they're all, they're slapstick. They're goofy. Mm -hmm. They're like, there's, they're not meant to be any sort of like taken seriously sort of thing. Like, so anything that, maybe is problematic is the fact that it's a comedy in the 1970s mm. so they're sometimes not that great of like representation for women but it's also like i think most of them are fairly like okay in terms of their representation of women too compared to a lot of the things that were coming out at the same time then let's talk about any hall let's talk about any hall so any hall was a movie that was also going to be this slapstick goofy wacky movie um, allegedly until it was gotten its hands on by a director and he's like, or by an editor and the dir- editor was just like, Oh, fuck all this like goofy nonsense stuff. And let's just kind of focus on the relationship between these two characters. And it turned into that movie. Um, and which is kind of like the, um, I'm trying to th- the playbook for romantic comedies. Yeah. Is, is that's like kind of the thing and why everybody references it, Annie Hall is except, like for the modern romantic comedy it is except the big difference is at the end of that movie they don't wind up together they don't wind up together like that yeah. is like the, the, the thing that makes it more interesting and more compelling than most romantic comedies is it kind of tells the story of a romantic relationship from beginning to end um and I, I that is the story that I heard was that it was basically all of the editors uh, credit 
why this was happening, yeah. that, that Woody Allen really didn't have anything to do with it, that it was all the editor who got his hands on it. I don't know if that's true one way or the other, but that's the way that the story gets told usually. But the fact of the matter is that after that, all of Woody Allen's movies kind of become an attempt to capture Annie Hall again to a greater or lesser extent with occasionally things about uh, how he really likes jazz guitar um, <laughs> and likes Paris uh, yeah. and Liz likes listening to jazz guitar in Paris. A lot of those. But like, if you're looking at his films from like after Annie Hall to let's say, I don't know, mid to late eighties, maybe early nineties, they're all kind of the same sort of thing, and they all kind of have this same sort of... I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, because, like, the protagonist is never really met, made out to be, like, the best person. Like, whether it's Woody Allen playing the protagonist himself, or whether it's another actor kind of playing a Woody Allen stand-in, as these protagonists in his film so often are. Mm. Um where they have a really kind of messed up relationship with women and that's a lot of what the movie is kind of about mm -hmm. is about like this one guy's kind of personal problems and like issues with relationships and things like that so i i don't know like this is where it gets like really complicated for me personally because i think annie hall is a brilliant movie whether or not that brilliance is a result of like Woody Allen or whether or not it's a result of the brilliance of the editor. Mm. It's a really good movie and it's a really like solid romantic film. Do those characters that are clearly expletives of Allen, yeah. do their issues with women and relationships translate into Woody Allen, the person's, I can only like to a degree, they kind of seem like it. Mm hmm. I don't know. I, this is where it becomes like really, really difficult to really talk about in any real extent because it's like, as I mentioned, I didn't know some of those allegations against Woody Allen. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't know that one. Um, and it's also like I haven't seen a lot of these movies because I've seen bits and pieces of them, but I don't think any of them are as good as Andy Hall was, and I don't think Andy Hall was intended to be what it is. But, like, the, the, the thing that I'm kind of getting to is, as far as I'm aware, and maybe we should look more into this, as far as I am aware, Alan hasn't really had any major allegations levied against him in, like, 30 years or more. I mean, the 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 sexual assault allegation that we were talking about with Dylan Farrow, that was in 1992. 1992, yeah. But, uh... Well, but... He was married to Mia Farrow in 92? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I didn't that, that's when they got divorced. Oh, that's when they got divorced. Mm -hmm. um, and he started dating, or however you want to describe it, with Soon Yi. Mm. Um, In 97. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it. this is where, yeah, this is then where it becomes kind of really complicated, because it's like, he's still making movies... I don't haven't seen a lot of his movies recently because, like I said, I think his best work was probably his early slapstick stuff. Like I think, like bananas. Bananas. I my favorite is Love and Death, mm. personally. Yeah, but um, Sleeper is pretty good too, and I like I like uh, Annie Hall a lot. I think that movie is absolutely brilliant. Um, again, I'm not really sure that that brilliance is necessarily Allen's though. 
is kind of where I, I fall on that. Like, I feel like if that story about the editor is mm -hmm. true, then that's definitely the editor's movie because allegedly this movie was originally going to be like some sort of, again, like another kind of slapsticky mm -hmm. kind of movie, but it was like going to be a heist film and it was just kind of a mess. And so yeah. we just kind of re-edited it to be this romantic comedy where the end of it is they don't end up together. They realize that they're a bad match for one another and they go their separate ways. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a bittersweet ending. Um, but it's also extremely funny, like throughout the entire thing. And I feel like his entire career since then has just been kind of trying to recapture what that movie was and not kind of reaching that. But then if you do like his modern movies, which I'm sure there are people who do, I heard a, a fair amount of really good things about um, Midnight in Paris, which I never saw, but I heard was supposed to be really good. Um, like if you are one of these people who like it, like are you justified in that? Is mm -hmm. that okay? Like it, Oh. Like if if these sorts of things that these he's been accused of doing are have gone on, which I'm sure they have, or are still going on, which who knows because mm -hmm. we haven't heard anything. Um, like then is your movie is your money going towards someone's defense for something that they should not be doing? Same sort of thing with like Bill Cosby. You know the reason why he was able to get away with this and like have this stuff be silenced for so many years is purely because he had all the money in the world and was able to just kind of throw it at this until it went away and till like he just silenced people with it. Mm -hmm. Like that's really, really, really where it gets confusing and where it really, really, really gets troubling because I mean, if that's the case, who knows who else? Like we didn't know about, you know, Diaz until a few weeks ago. Yeah. We, most people didn't know about, um about bill cosby until recently um there was recent allegations against um morgan freeman you know yeah mm -hmm. like where like how do we how do we fix this i guess i guess this is where we're I coming to now we fix not that the three of us fix it which yeah, yeah. Are very <laughs> yeah. minimal yeah yeah the three of us yeah, how do yeah. we go out how there how do we go out there we go knock on woody allen's door yeah, we, we put on <laughs> we, we put on masks no. and we um, just beat up rapists in the street yeah um that sounds great it that does sound great do. actually we, yeah, we can do this. that yeah, let's do that <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast go beat up a rapist <laughs> <laughs> just any of them will do yeah any of them just, just pick uh, one don't, like, Remember, make, this podcast does not like endorse illegal to, activities. I feel find, like we need to edit this out because I, I feel like find find a rape in progress <laughs> and beat up the rapist. So like, you'll you'll be fine. You'll be a hero. You'll be a hero. That that this is what heroes do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I I I think it's getting more people at the table, mm -hmm. um, which we which has kind of happened um, now with like the the Harvey Weinstein thing. It's um, and I think a lot of people are speaking out. A lot of people that have worked with, you know, Woody Allen are now, like, donating their salaries. I was just reading they're donating their salaries to RAN mm. um, for, you know, they're like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Mm. Um, I'm going to donate this money. To Wait, they're doing this now? Because I feel yeah, like people... So, like, so it's it's interesting. It's kind of like, so the, the allegations resurfaced in 2014. Mm -hmm. Um... And have, like, been resurfacing again now with the Me Too movement um, in Hollywood. And so uh, the director of Lady Bird uh, recently came out as saying that she had regretted 
or maybe it was one of the actors had regretted like being in a movie with uh, Woody Allen in 2012. Mm. And then someone else was like, yeah, I also regretted being in a Woody Allen film in like 2014. And so then like decided to take the money that he made from that film and, and give it to um, the rain, which stands for, uh, God, I can't remember anyway. But and the the big problem with stuff like that is that it is kind of a, like a stopgap measure in a yeah. lot of ways, yeah. where it's like, you know, the the, the horse is already out. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. don't close close the barn door now because it's not yeah. going to do anything. Well, I think I think something that might uh, this might be not enough. Yeah. But it, it might be a start. Uh-huh. Is to try to see if any of these people that have done these terrible things genuinely have changed or feel remorse for these things, especially if they've happened so long ago. Cause people can do things and then, you know, be remorseful for them later. If there's no remorse, if... I don't care if you're remorseful. Mm-hmm. If you were a child molester, you're no. still a child molester. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's mm-hmm. the thing. Like it's I like, said, yeah, that's why I say it's not enough. I don't, I don't care if you feel remorse. Yeah. I don't care if you feel remorse. If you raped somebody, mm-hmm. I mean, you should, you know, but, like, you still need to be punished mm. in Fair some enough. form. Fair enough. I think the big problem is, you know, and this is, it's a, it's a multi, it's a multi-pronged issue. Mm-hmm. Um, because women don't come forward with rape allegations because, because of the history of mishandling it. Um, because it is the only fucking crime in America where you know, you can get blamed for having it happened to you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? Like, nobody says, like, if your house gets robbed, they weren't like, well, why'd you have a house? Mm. You know, nobody says that. Um, If you get murdered, nobody's like, why'd you get murdered? Well, if you get murdered by the police, they say that. Yeah, that's true. Um, No, that's fair. That's a good point. Um, But, like, you know, and then on top of that... um, I think there, there's been attempts in the past to try to make it so that way women can at least get at least sue rapists in civil courts. Mm-hmm. But over time, that's kind of been eroded. Mm. And now um, you can not to beat this dead horse, but like you can like um, open yourself up to libel mm. um, for and libel lawsuits for for threatening somebody or not threat, but but for coming forward with a rape allegation. Women are threatened with libel. Um, I think one of the things that we have to dispel is this myth that women are getting anything out of um, out of lawsuits, um, or that they're they're getting any sort of any benefit from this. Um, in fact, it's all about trying justice. It's yeah, it's it's, trying, it's, yeah, it's about justice, seeking justice. Um, you know, women are are frequently bullied. Like, um, mm-hmm. this is something that I brought up a lot during the twenty sixteen election. Um, was the fact that Trump um, got elected in November and was supposed to be on trial uh, in a civil suit for rape Mm. in December. Um, And that woman was harassed so much that she retracted her, like, threatened with death loss, like, Mm -hmm. threatened with lawsuits, threatened with death threats, um, so much so that she retracted her case. Um, so I feel like the time of reckoning has come, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's enough. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, and, and that that makes sense. Yeah. And the time of reckoning for the people has come. Yeah. And what do you do with the art that they leave behind? That's that's what we. Leave. I know it's like like we've been talking about this for like what like a fucking hour and a half. Uh, yeah, an yeah. hour and a half. And I I think it de- I think it depends on the proximity. Like, mm-hmm. I will never I will never give money to Cards Against Humanity. Again. Mm-hmm. Um, because I have a very close proximity to both the creator of that product and his victim. And out of respect that I have for the victim, Mm -hmm. I would not do that. I think, I think it does have, I think in addition, you guys had brought up the idea of time and I think the idea of proximity as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I have a harder time and probably because I'm a white woman. Um, I have a harder time with issues that deal directly with women, mm. um, than with race. And that's probably a failing of my part. Um, and it's certainly rooted in right, white privilege. Um, but I have a harder time justifying watching Woody Allen films. Yeah. Um, because of that. And so I think it's, it's a proximity to, um, to the victims as well. So I think... I think with that, I think opening up, um, I think opening up the table to more people. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that a lot of these these men that get toppled um, have been replaced by women. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to do more diversity. That it shouldn't just be white women. That it should be women of all colors mm-hmm. and and genders and genders. Um, you know. Yep. But, you know, and, and that is true. It does affect, you know, it, it might affect you more. But that doesn't mean that we should be, as, as you know, straight white men, that we should be divorced from it. And yeah. that we right. need to also, you know, that's the whole idea of intersectionality and solidarity is to stand up for people, even if it does not affect you personally. Yes. Right. But to try to work against these forces as one united front. Yeah. And so, you know, we need to work to be better at that. Yeah. As, as a whole. And it's it's very very difficult because, I, you know, as I was saying earlier, it's easy to look at something like a book and the author and kind of connect that. It's easy to look at something like a com- uh, you know a music piece of music and the composer and draw a connection. Mm-hmm. Film is different. But I mean, the film is inherently like, like, collaborative art. Yeah, form. Mm-hmm. and so it's you're not necessarily just hurting that one person or that one director, but also the actors, the editors, the best boy, the grip, the people in craft services, you know, and that's, I think that's kind of the frustration that grows out of, of dealing with film as an art form because it is, there's so many more people that are impacted by it. Especially because it is like, it's since it isn't just the brainchild of one person, like, that one person's toxicity may or may not like contaminate the whole work yeah. dependent upon who they are, what they're doing. Like, you know, if the director of photography of a film is a total like racist shitbag, that probably isn't going to affect the final product that much. But if the writer and the director is like, if they're, especially if they're the same person, you know, and that yeah. person believes really shitty things, 
that might affect the film more. Mm -hmm. But it also might not mm -hmm. because yeah. it depends on what it is, like how close the subject is to their own personal shittiness. And I know you guys were kind of skirting around the issue of a producer because the producer doesn't have as direct of a hand in the actual production of the producer art. is not a laborer. He's not a creator. He's not a laborer. But, <laughs> but because they parasite. are the person with the capital, yeah. because they are the person with the capital, they are the gatekeepers. Right. And yeah. that is a frustration with, like, especially with Harvey Weinstein. Yes. A lot of what films, what films didn't get made because of Harvey Weinstein. Oh, yeah. You oh, know what I mean? Who got kept off who of Who got films. kept out of the table? Mm. Who who was kept away from the process? And I think that's kind of... And that's where I was saying before about with, like, the way... Not to, like, make gross generalizations all over the place, mm -hmm. but the way, like, white men in, acad in film academia mm -hmm. have kind of turned a blind eye to shitty stuff that happens and then the way that other people turned a blind eye to Harvey Weinstein um, then the things that were allowed to happen the films that were allowed to be made mm -hmm. um, due to his shittiness and due to the enablers of his shittiness that's a scientific term by the way yeah, yeah, enablers yeah. of shittiness yeah yeah <laughs> shitty enablers yeah shit enablers yeah um so I think that where we've landed after about an hour and a half of discussion is that there's no real answer for this. Yeah, no. So, uh, what Sorry, guys. That was a big-ass letdown. And we apologize. That... I don't know. I think I think the answer, not to be like, it's up to you. Make uh, your yeah. own decisions. But, like, I I, I think it's a... It's, everyone has it's a, a different a threshold. It's, yeah, everybody has a different threshold. Um, you have to look at your own proximity to the crime and victims and perpetrators in question. Um, you have to look at the amount of time and you have to look at the amount of the weight of the work in question. Yeah. So I think if it's, if it's a trifecta of, if it's a trifecta of shit, yeah. mm -hmm. then those are your three things, proximity, time, and weight. Yeah. And those are the three things that you have to analyze. And then in deciding if you want to continue consuming this piece of art and media. I would also th throw in there, when you say proximity, do you mean like proxim your, your proximity to what's being affected? Or do you mean... The proximity of the creator to the... Pe or the... Or, or the proximity of the creator's shittiness to what has been created. Like, I think I think it's I think it's both. It could mean your proximity, as in my example with um, Cards Against Humanity, but it can also be kind of your example of uh, Birth of a Nation yeah. and his proximity to the shittiness that he created. Okay. So I I would say it's both. I would say it's both. But if you're going to like create a hashtag or write this out in a tweet or something, I would say it's 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 the trifecta of bullshit. Is like <laughs> yeah. time, proximity, and weight. I suppose there's a degree of this being like informed as to what you are consuming, being aware of who has made the yeah. media. Oh, no. Who has who has made the media uh, that you are that you are taking in, and like what is their viewpoint yeah. and what are their problems because everyone as i mentioned you know human beings are fallible we all have parts of ourselves that are not perfect some of those you know when you are 
a super successful artist, oftentimes those fallible parts of yourself get exacerbated. And sometimes that's something that doesn't harm anyone except for yourself. You know, you get some sort of self-destructive urge and get all, go on cocaine benders or whatever. Like Robin and, Williams. Like Robin Williams, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a really good example, you know. Yeah. Where, where you know, Robin Williams like his the dark parts of his personality were all turned purely against himself yeah um whereas you know the dark parts of you know woody allen's personality or roman polanski's or bill cosby's got turned on other people um and so to quote to quote uh john stewart um love thy neighbor as thyself and if you hate thyself leave your neighbor the fuck alone yeah <laughs> yeah no, and, and I think that that's probably a lot to do with it, is that those, when you do get to kind of the top of your field, when you get to the yeah. top of your profession, the, all aspects of your personality become amplified. Like we talked about um, Kanye West a few weeks ago yeah. on the podcast. And so like that same kind of an idea of like, whatever Kanye West is, he was that before he ever set foot in a, in a recording studio. Yeah. And, like, between time, fame, money, and personal tragedy, those things have exploded, potentially. Also, I, I still am holding my theory that he's... Uh, have you listened to the new album? I haven't had the chance to listen to the new album yet, no. Do we want to go... What do you guys think about the idea that things happening on the continuum? Like, from Louis C.K.'s masturbating in front of a woman... Um, or like kind of shitty remarks like um, Jason Bateman from uh, Arrested Development and his kind of shitty remarks about uh, the whole Jessica Walters and Jeffrey Tambor um, controversy um, being on kind of one end of, of a uh, of a continuum versus like Woody Allen child molester and Harvey Weinstein serial rapist I, being I, on the other. I like, do you, do you see think that. like? Do you think that has something to do with it? like the weight of the crime? That I was could committed? see that definitely being part of it, but I also I, I don't think that's the whole the whole part of it. Like, yeah, I, I think that I am still looking forward to listening to Kanye listening to Kanye West's new album, even though he said some like crazy shitty things recently, because Kanye West always says crazy things, and that doesn't, in my mind, affect his artwork. Whereas you know, like I said, the thing with um, Orson Scott Card, when we were talking about that earlier, you know, me finding out that Orson Scott Card is a terrible, like, homophobe makes me not want to read his books. And there's probably a whole lot of different factors into that. And I could probably sit here and talk for another hour about, like, why one thing bothers me less than another. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, it's all this weight of what have they done? What have they said? Why are they saying it? Why are they doing this? What is the value of their art versus what is the problem of what they're saying? Yeah. Like, I feel like in spite of his, like, foibles, Kanye West's music is worth more to me than the craziness of what he is saying takes away from me. Whereas I don't feel like I got as much from Orson Scott Card's books as is taken away by supporting someone who believes 
these kind of outdated notions about homosexuality. I think that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. So make 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 your own decisions. Make your own decisions. Be employ informed. be informed, but employ cognitive dissonance when consuming art and media. Mm-hmm. Be aware of where the people are coming from and the problems that they have and the terrible things that they might have said or done or continue to say and do. I think that's where we're at. All right. It's good. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds that's, good. That was a long one. That guys. was a long one. Wow. Um, do we have it any... a long sustained conversation on one topic? Yeah. yeah. Do, so we have other things to, to mention briefly or, uh, cause I know I saw a movie. Oh yeah. You did see. A movie. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we really going to talk about other things after that? Well, I mean, we've so only we, gone on a ha- like an hour and forty five minutes. Yeah. I mean, we could go on another. You know. I, I will. I will say uh, the only other thing that I really consumed this week was we. Wa- I watched uh, the newest episode of Megalobox, and that continues to be great. Mm. Um, and I was really sad because there wasn't a new episode of Legend of the Galactic Heroes this week, because it was the special instead. Yeah. And I was going to go watch it, and I couldn't, so yeah. that made me sad. Yeah. Um, I went to go see the Star Wars Solo movie. Yeah. Um. Wow. Was there a Star War? There was no Star War. There, I mean, there was a war. There was a Star Heist. There was a, there Star, was a Heist. Star Heist. Uh, there was a war, but Man. it was in the background. Um, Man, I, I hope Chewbacca got out of that scrape that he was in in the Chewbacca trailer. got out of the scrape just fine. Um, there's no need to worry about that. But in Thank ter- goodness. But in terms of a movie, like, it's not spectacular, mm-hmm. but it's not as bad as I think you guys are making it out to be. I don't. I never thought it was going to be bad. Mm-hmm. Like I, that's the thing is, like, I know, don't think it's going to be bad. It's mm-hmm. just not. I'm not excited enough to want to go see it in theaters. Like, okay. I probably will see it eventually. Because the idea of it takes Star Wars out of it. The idea of a heist film set in that kind of you know yeah. sci-fi setting, that might appeal to me anyway, even if it had nothing to do with right. Star Wars. And so you know, I watched the movie, and it was I thought entertaining. Um, I do want to say it seemed a lot like a kind of like a, a pilot episode to a yeah. to what will be the continuing adventures of Han and Chewie, um, at, which would be great if it was, but I don't know if that's the case. And, and I think we we talked about this off mic before. I'd be more interested in it if it were that. Mm-hmm. If it were if it were a TV yeah. show about that, I'd be more interested in it. Yeah, I'm less interested in seeing it as a movie. Why is that? Um, what about what is it that about being in a theater that makes it different from watching it on your TV? Because Going to a theater is such a huge investment of time and money that I don't do it anymore unless it's some big thing that I know I'm going to enjoy. Um, whereas television, like, I can sit down and watch an hour of television and not, like, really have to think about it too much. And if it's something I like, great, I'll keep watching it. If it's something I don't like, meh. I'll find something else. Well, maybe, maybe you'll stream it after it comes out on streaming. I services. probably will. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I will. I will almost certainly watch it when it is out of theaters. Mm-hmm. But I just—it's not something that I want to drag myself down to theaters to go see. But yeah, when it's out, if it's out on Netflix or whatever, I'll watch it then. I think if I'm gonna invest the time and money to go to a theater and watch a movie, I definitely want to see characters who change and have development but like i know who han solo is we know what the end of han solo's character and we know yeah and we ultimately Mm -hmm. know what the end of his character arc is i don't you don't want to see the beginning of his character arc i just i don't beginning of his character the beginning of his the beginning of his character arc is when obi-wan kenobi is looking for uh, transport Mm -hmm. off tatooine 
Like that's I and I and I know that sounds like kind of snide, but it's like that's his story. Mm-hmm. That's the like whatever happened before that is prologue. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ultimately affect anything. And that's really my problem with prequels in general. It's mm-hmm. like uh, and I think we might have talked about this on the, the store the show before too, but it's like whatever happens in this movie in terms of setting up who Han Solo was before the events of Empire uh, of a uh, New Hope, I could almost guarantee that in my own head, the story that I have is going to be more entertaining to me than the story that's going to be shown on screen. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's not that my story is objectively better than the one that it's got made, but it's my story. Mm. And so by projecting my story on screen and doing it in a way that isn't my version is going to inherently be worse for me. I mean, that's the problem with adaptions in general. I mean, that uh, that I mean, like if you read a book or something and you I, know you have the idea of what the characters look like, of how they see, act, and all I that. Find the ad- is like adaptation is different, and here's why I see, think mm-hmm. of adaptation as being different. Because with an adaptation, if I read a book and I really love the book and then they make a movie of it and I go to see the movie, that book is still the book. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But yeah. Like that story is still its own story and the movie it's its own story and there can be two different things and that's fine. But if the movie is a movie and I'm watching the movie and it's like, oh, this character has this backstory. This is what's happened to this character in my mind before the first second he appears on screen. And then you make another movie to tell me that, mm-hmm. then that's the same story. Then you're taking my story away from me. It's it's okay to have mystery, too. Yeah, it's also feel really like it, fine <laughs> to have mystery. It, it, I feel like it takes away some of the intrigue of... How did that the, gonk droid get into the sand crawler? Find yeah. out in 2024, <laughs> gonk, a yeah. Star Wars story. Yeah, exactly. It, it, you know, it takes away some of the intrigue or some of the mystery or some of the the interest that I have in these mm-hmm. characters by knowing like every single yeah. fucking thing yeah. about their lives. And it's like, there's only so much that Han Solo can change. Okay. Because we know what his arc is. We know. Yeah. We know where it's going to you know? eventually end up. We know that he's not, he's not going to go from selfish rogue to selfish rogue so many times Yeah. before it gets to the point where it's like, okay, we, we get it. Well, now he's got to actually become, a character. Well, what yeah. if he were to go from unselfish rogue to selfish rogue and then back again? Then here's here's the thing though. Here's here's the response though. It's that I'm still not seeing the difference between your idea of your fan theory being adapted and the idea of a novel being see, adapted in see, general. See, okay, so because like fan theory, like, I don't want to use the word fan theory because mm-hmm. I'm not like I'm not like purporting this out to be like oh here's the real answer. It's mm-hmm. just here is who this person is. Here's mm-hmm. the the backstory of this character from what i understand based on him appearing on screen right all right if you make a movie then saying no this is actually who that character is and even though he appears this way and you thought this thing about him before that's actually not true that and to me is taking some of the as elise was saying mystery away from it and some of the co-ownership i suppose of our kind of going back to our our conversation last week Mm -hmm. Um, I feel that every form of media is in some way a form of collaboration because even if you are showing something to somebody, if you're showing a painting, if you're showing a film, the viewer's imagination and the viewer's mind is going to fill in blanks Mm -hmm. by necessity. That is 
that is outside of the scope of the medium, that is outside the scope of the story. And so you are asking the audience to be a part of the cooperation and the creative process. Um, so by creating something that fills in those gaps, that takes the gaps away, then you are taking away part of my own agency and some of my own abilities to create stories in my mind mm -hmm. by making these like, no, here's actually what happened. Whereas if I'm reading a book, as I said, if I'm reading a book and I enjoy the book and that is even more of a collaborative experience because there are no visuals, all the visuals has to happen in your mind. Um, that then having someone take that and show me what they imagined is in my mind a different story. It's a different thing. I can enjoy both equally. I can enjoy more one than the other. I can love one and hate the other, but it is a different thing. It is completely separated, okay? A film adaptation of a book and the book itself are two completely different things. Yes. Blade Runner is not do Android's dream of electric sheep. They are two different things in my mind. And so Blade Runner can get a sequel that does not affect Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. okay. That's what I'm saying. Um, so if you then create a prequel to a movie that isn't in itself a movie, and you're giving it to me in the same medium, and you're telling me it's part of the same story... And that was a part of the story where, in my mind, you gave me that gap, and I got to play around in that gap. You're filling it in. Mm. It's like, you know, I'm the, the inner city kids in a vacant lot playing baseball, and now the big uh, the big real estate mogul is moving in, and they're taking away my stickball But they're not taking... Because, like, your your imagination still exists. Your, I know your ideas I'm, still exist, even not, if the movie I'm got made. I'm not saying that this is a perfect thing. <laughs> Disney saying, did not suck your memories out. I'm not saying that this is a perfect thing, but I'm saying, like, this is the way that I view it. Mm -hmm. I, okay, can I cut in here? Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I feel like this argument is getting cyclical. Um, some of... So here are my problems with Solo. Mm -hmm. Um... I know having not I, seen it. Having not seen it. Asterisk. Asterisk having not seen it. I know what I'm getting. What are you getting? Like, Ron Howard is not a particularly inventive filmmaker. Mm -hmm. um, he can do some things that are kind of clever. They're kind of interesting. But, you know, he's no he's no Martin Scorsese. You he's no Lord I mean? and Lord, for that matter. Yeah. Because I was like, really interested in it when it was still down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was originally going to be the guys that did the Lego movie. And they're, like, they're fun. Like, they're interesting Guys, and I, I appreciate their approach to film, filmmaking in a way that I just don't care about Ron Howard's. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's such a... I think the thing that annoys me about Solo's existence is it is, like, it is the ultimate cash grab, mm -hmm. right? Like, you're making this thing for a very niche audience that has a lot of buying power because, you know, these, like, whatever fanboys, which the Star Wars fandom is insanely toxic. Yep. Um, they... See our previous episode about Last Jedi, which yeah. the fact that we also had another Star Wars movie, like, six months ago. Yeah. 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 I was also another... I was thinking this... <laughs> chased, um, chased Tram off the, off the internet. I saw that. Tram? Yeah. The, the woman who played, um... Was oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In in Last Jedi, those um, dicks. Yeah. yeah, no, they're kind of dickish, and we rewarded their dickish behavior mm -hmm. with the thing that they wanted, which was a solo, I a, a solo Han Solo movie. Yeah, which was a prequel about the most dickish character. 
in the fandom, like in in the series, the most assholeish character got oh. his own fucking film. The al- most assholeish characters of the non-villains. Of yeah, the non-villains yeah. got his own film with like a very like cut and dry story that we all knew they were gonna do with a very like a very milk toast director. Mm. And I'm like, I don't pay money to see that. Like I'll catch it on Netflix. But like if if you yeah. know, I know you hate the whole vote with your wallet idea, but I'm like, I don't want this. I don't need this in my life. You okay. know what I mean? Alright, that's fair. If like, if it's just it, not like your it, if, it feels yeah. like it heaps onto the pile of of white male bullshit that you already mm-hmm. have to wade through in yeah. geekdom. You know? Like, and, I, I yeah. don't need any more. Mm-hmm. I'm good. And I can get... I can understand that. Like, I can appreciate that. If it's just not something that you really had any interest in seeing, if not something that you think is going to be worth your time or your energy, then I can understand that. And I can appreciate that. You know, yeah. I, I don't want to go see Deadpool 2. I saw Deadpool yeah. 1. It was all right. I don't really care enough to see Deadpool 2. But, you know... I think to, to problem... take it into your childhood and say that it killed your childhood. I'm not saying it killed my childhood. <laughs> like you're not. You're, okay, you're... But, but here, here's my thing. Here's mm-hmm. my thing is that it's. I feel like its existence is rewarding really shitty behavior. Okay. I feel like its existence is rewarding the Star Wars fandom, who, quite frankly, they need to go sit in a corner and think about what they've done yeah. over the past few years. Um, and and that is. That is my problem. So it's it for me. It is more than just a like oh, you know. Oh, if it's not your taste, it's not your taste. For me, it's like this is, you know, like I don't want to be like it's an extension of the Me Too project. <laughs> like, but but it kind of it kind of is to a certain extent because it is it is a it is certainly a product of white male assholery and geekdom. Mm. Like if enough of these white male assholes get together. They can have whatever fucking movie they want. Mm. And those bitches with all of their all of their prowess and money and buying power could have given us so much shit and they wanted a solo Han solo mm. movie. Yeah. Mm. That we all know that like as Nick pointed out, you played it in your mind. You didn't need it. Yeah. You didn't need it. You know, there's other things that we could have spent money on. Damn yeah. it. Anyway, that's that's my fucking problem with the Han Solo. Movie. And I find like I don't know. I, I find that the new, I, I'm much more interested in the new film. Yes, like, add agreed. on to the story. Right. Yeah. Like like there's no. Again, the story starts. As far as I'm concerned, the story starts at the beginning of A New Hope. Like you got all this stuff. The prequels are completely unnecessary. Like. How does the Empire come to power? Does it really matter? Does it really affect... It's, and it's the same problem that I have with the Alien prequels. It's like, oh, there's so many mysteries. There's so many things to be explored. No, there's not. They wind up... They're, they're, the pilot of the derelict spacecraft on LV-426 got infected with a chestburster. He put out a distress call and he crashed. Why was he flying there? Why does he have this in the in the cargo hold? Who cares? That's yeah. not the story. <laughs> and and because these stories are are being made, other stories are not being made. Yeah, mm. yeah, we're you just know, getting the same things over and over and as over. As opposed again. to freeing up these resources to create new, more interesting stuff by new and different directors. Who you know, like, did we really need another Ron Howard movie? <laughs> like, he should be making more Arrested Development. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, that's that's where his job is. Um, that's where he should be. There's also the the issue of like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a cranky old fogey, but I was I was fine with stuff like this existing in the pre prequels world in book form in book form because mm-hmm. again i feel like that's a different thing it's a different medium so it's easier to say okay well it, you can separate those things like if it's something that isn't as interesting to you you can separate it you can ignore it you can come up with your own things we talked about this last week I th- or last episode where it was you know the stories that were floating around like the rumors of like oh yeah boba fett's past or han solo's past and then like you would you get these little whispers glimpses of stories and then mm-hmm. you would create the story um Tolkien actually does this kind of stuff a lot to kind of go completely off the rails here for a second and yeah. talk about Tolkien. Um, he got this, he was really interested because in Beowulf, there's constant references to other stories mm-hmm. that are no longer in existence. And so when those originally were put down, they were kind of done as sort of like previews of like, oh, if you like this story, when I'm done with this, my lord, I can also give you this one. Um, and so Tolkien when he wrote Lord of the Rings would do the same sort of things. Like he would put in important names and places and things. Um, They were basically like seeds for other stories. And so the idea was that other people would go in and fill those in. And so like you get, and then Christopher Tolkien was like, no, I want all the money. But, but then what we kind of got left with was that, well, everyone who read Lord of the Rings got to kind of, develop a lot of this stuff like once you got the basis of like what this world was you could kind of come up with these stories on your own which is what i feel like a lot of the background for star wars should be like what is like how does the empire come to power like before the 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 prequels came out it's like that there was a million different versions of that story which i think is much more interesting Mm -hmm. than just oh it's like are you familiar with roman history are you familiar with like how hitler came to power it's like that, but in space. Um, space Hitler. Space Hitler. Um, are you like, like, who is Han? What did he do? What's the Kessel Run like? Hey, I, have you seen a train heist movie? Yeah. Did you see it's that? It's like that. Did but you see in that? Space. Did you see that one episode of Firefly? Here it is, but with actual Han Solo instead of fake Han Solo. I didn't in see that space. episode of Firefly. <laughs> Firefly was already in space. Shut up. <laughs> I don't know. I guess I guess I didn't do that as much with Star Wars. I guess yeah. I, because, you know, I... Maybe it's because I'm younger and I didn't read as many of the books. Maybe. But it's like, you know, I had never given any consideration to Han Solo's life before yeah. he shows up. And now that they've made this film, I'm like, okay, that sounds reasonable. We'll move on. Okay. But, like, I didn't have this connection, this kind of methodic connection yeah. to the, the the little hints and nuggets and stuff like that. And, and you know, being at the young age of, I guess, what, six when uh, Phantom Menace came out, mm-hmm. you know, not really having that same ideas in my head at the time, having only just seen the original Star Wars, like, maybe the year before. Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's That's, not... Yeah. That is way different, because mm-hmm. I, I don't even remember how young I was the first time I watched Star Wars, and I was 12 mm-hmm. when, uh, when Phantom Menace came out. So I built it up way more in my head. Like, I had way more of a connection to it. And I feel like at this point in my life, like, I'm a Star Wars fan like i enjoy it but like i no longer feel the need to consume everything star wars that comes out Mm -hmm. because i lived through the prequels and i was burned by the prequels and i like i kind of lived my life for a long time like okay there's not going to be any more star wars 
And all I'm left with now are the special editions, which I don't particularly care for anymore, and and the prequels, which I really hate. Mm-hmm. And so it's like that's that's all I've got. Right. <laughs> and then every once in a while, a video game would come out. I'm like, hey, I like Star Wars. And so like now these new movies, I'm really liking the new story, and I'm like really invested in the new story. But it's like you don't I just don't, give us more of the give, new story, us, damn it. Or if you're going to go back and examine the old universe, give me TV shows mm-hmm. or give yeah. me books or comics or something like that. Like they don't all have to be movies. I'm getting kind of, it's the same kind of feeling that I have with the Marvel movies. Where yeah. it's like they don't all need to be coming out. I'm right. getting a little burnt out. Give me something different to spice this up every once in a while, okay. which I understand why that's not happening. Like Disney has really been burned before. Like remember John Carter that was actually supposed to have been an okay movie, but no one went to go see it. And so mm. it completely, like, crashed and burned. And so now I think they're all playing, like, all these companies, but Disney especially, is playing it safe with, like, here's this franchise that people know. We're just going to stick with this known franchise. We're just going to milk this cow until milk it's this dead. Milk this cow for all it's worth. Milk, milk this weird, <laughs> this weird... Alien cow. This space weird, cow. This weird space, <laughs> space walrus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's right. That yeah. Yeah. I loved that scene. I, that was, I, I loved that it, but it was also so gross. It anyway. was a great movie. Mm-hmm. I liked that Last movie. Last Jedi. I liked, fight us. I liked, I liked the little fan comic someone made where it was just some sentient alien that decided to go on vacation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this weird bearded man. <laughs> it's the best. Uh, Angry Space Hobo. Uh, Luke Skywalker is my favorite version of you, Luke Skywalker. Yeah. All right. Do you think you could give us the com- the web comic in the week, web comic of the week in ten minutes or less? I can give you the web comic of the week in five. All Ooh. right. All right. So the web comic this week is a web comic called Monster Kind. Okay. And it is essentially, it's set in this world where the there are there are humans. And there are monsters. And the monsters are not all the same type of species. It's kind of like Sesame Street, really, in that way. And that you have humans and you have monsters. Um, Are they monsters or are they monstars? They're they're not monstars. Um, They don't play basketball. At least some of them don't. But um, but they... What what the idea is, is it's this, uh, this country where they all live is divided up into districts. And generally speaking, which district you live in oftentimes determines the prosperity of the the area and it follows this human uh, social worker named Wallace Forster or Foster uh, who has been tasked with going into district C and basically working as a caseworker for all of these monsters that are unable to hold jobs or have you know problems with this that or the other thing and trying to This is like my character in Shadowrun. Yeah. Uh, and trying to bridge the gap of his own um, kind of introversion uh, and, like, not having as much uh, experience with field work uh, and also trying to make friends. And it's also about these these monster friends that he meets and, and uh, deals with, uh, you know, these troubled characters. It's it's a really, really interesting kind of take on, on that um, where, of course, you know, of course, it's clearly mirroring our world and, you know, race relations and the idea of the idealistic... Um, usually, you know, white social worker that'll come down to the inner city and I'm going to help everybody. Yeah. And it doesn't quite work that way. Um, but, you know, it, it takes that in this direction with the monsters that can go in new and interesting ways. Um, so it's called Monster Kind uh, and I do recommend it. And I think, like, I think at least you might actually yeah. enjoy this one. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. 
right. No, it sounds very much like the character that I created for a Shadowrun yeah. campaign. Yeah, Speaking of Shadowrun, uh, not to do the webcomic of the week thing after the webcomic of the week, but we also played a game oh, yeah. since last time we recorded. We played Fate. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. At least I had a lot of fun running it. It was everything I'd hoped that Shadowrun would be, but wasn't. Yeah. And, yeah. and not set in the future, but in the past. Yeah. The, the, the future past. The future past. <laughs> All right. Everything's powered by steam in space. All right. Okay. On that note, we're done. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, my name's all Alex. seven of you. My name's Alex. I'm Nick. And I'm Elise. And this has been Some Nerds Have a Podcast. Good night, everybody. Bye.